We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Rotowire Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit on DraftKings to get a free contest entry today. It is October 15th, a Thursday. Nick Whalen here, joined by James Anderson, as I always am, on Thursdays. Kind of continuing our grab bag of NBA podcasts, I guess we can call it, as the season approaches. Um, we're less than two weeks out now, I think, not this coming Tuesday, but the Tuesday after is opening night. That's October 27th in the NBA regular season. Um, we've talked a ton about pre-draft stuff. We've talked about rookies. We've talked about uh, positions that we like, guys we like as breakout candidates. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more from a team perspective today. Um, we're going to kind of go through both conferences and, and kind of project where we see uh, each team finishing, uh, at least in the top eight, so the playoff picture. Um, this year there's a change to the NBA seeding process, something that I think has probably been in the works for a while, something that people have complained about, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. 
So now this year, teams are seeded one through eight based solely on record. In the past, if you were a division winner, you were guaranteed a top four seed. That is no longer the case. So, for example, a team like Portland last year had the sixth best record in the Western Conference, but they ended up as the four seed, uh, you know, by virtue of winning that Northwest division. So, I mean, is this a rule change that you're in favor of? Yeah, of course. I think any time that you can sort of do your best to reward the the best teams, I think that that's always something I'll be in favor of. I mean, I'm I'm all for just kind of restructuring the entire playoff system and just getting rid of uh, conferences. But like, I mean, that's that's not going to happen like maybe ever. But this is definitely something that they can change without really uh, affecting the the way that the public views the the playoffs. You would you would really rather get rid of conferences altogether? I can see the argument for divisions. Um, there's I, just you know the NBA doesn't have the rivalries and the history behind divisions. You know, I mean, like, you could keep the conferences just for like the name, like Eastern Conference and Western Conference, if you want to. But like, I don't think the eighth best team in the East should necessarily make it over to the ninth best team in the West. Like, I think that you should just go by records when you're deciding who makes the postseason. Yeah, and that's certainly something that's hard to argue against. And I'd and I'd be in favor of a balanced schedule. Like, you know, I don't think the Western teams should have to play each other an unnecessary amount of times. Um, if you went to that model, like, I mean, I think that ideally everyone would play each other the the same amount of time. I mean, there aren't like regular season rivalries in the NBA. No, like, that's, that's not thing. something it's like you have in the to MLB, preserve. I think there would be a huge backlash if you, you know, if you broke up the AL East, yeah. for example, or in the NFL, you know, the NFC North, I yeah. think is one of those divisions and there's rivalries all over and yeah, like you said when there's there's so many games and you know teams change so much and you know the NBA just doesn't have those storied uh regular season rivalries. I mean, you look mm-hmm. the best rivalry uh probably without much argument is Celtics Lakers, right? And that's those are teams that really only meet for meaningful games in the NBA Finals. So, yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting model there, I guess. Um, I just think it's all kind of a knee-jerk reaction to how good the West has been lately. You know, I think if you're splitting up uh, or if you're eliminating divisions or you're going to eliminate conferences just to kind of compensate for one conference being better than the other, and, and I'm not saying that wouldn't work in the short term because obviously the Western Conference is much deeper. It's, it's, a, lot, <clears throat> it's a lot more top-heavy. I think the top six or seven teams in the West – would probably be close to the top six or seven teams in the East as well, you know, if you if you were to mix all of the conferences. But at the same time, who's to say five six years down the road it won't be the opposite? You know. Yeah. No. I I I get that. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, if I was starting it from scratch, like that's how I'd do it. Just because I, you know, even if it only helped like one deserving team get in, like every three years, I still think it would be worthwhile. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because, you know, if you're the uh, 16th best team in the in the league. You're not gonna win probably your first round matchup. Right, that's and the thing. It's like you're not. So really, it doesn't really matter. You, you might be getting a team in that's more deserving, but is that team really going to be a threat right. for the actual title? Most no. likely not. Um, so we'll start with the East, and we'll go. We'll start with number one. Um, and this was probably the most obvious pick of them all. I would assume, at least it was for me. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers at number one in the East, and you have the Cavaliers at number one as well. Right. If I, I mean, if there was a team that I could make any kind of a case for over the Cavs, I think I would have done that. And because and, I just, I'm kind of, I think the Cavs are very vulnerable, especially once we get to the postseason. But they're just so clearly better. With, I mean, they would need like a serious injury, I think, to LeBron for them to not mm-hmm. get the one seed. Yeah, and that that is kind of maybe telling of what's going on in the east right now is if you have lebron you're almost locked in no matter what the supporting cast is um you know in that number one seed are you expecting a little bit of a bounce back year 
from Kevin Love. And if you look at the numbers, he really wasn't all that bad last season, you know, compared to his career averages. Um, obviously, the usage was down, not seeing the, the the amount of touches that he was as the main focal point of that offense in Minnesota. But with Kyrie Irving out for what sounds like probably the first two months of the season, maybe a little bit longer, I mean, is Kevin Love going to be able to step up and be that number two guy that was never really the case last season? Uh, I think that it's... You know, I don't think he'll be any worse than he was uh, before getting hurt last year, but I just don't think he'll ever be able to max out his abilities playing alongside LeBron because they do so much of the same stuff and they like to set up in a lot of the same places on offense. So he'll always be like slightly out of his comfort zone as long as he's playing with LeBron, but I definitely I'm with you. I mean, he's he's still one of the, the best offensive big men in the league. Yeah, and certainly in the Eastern Conference, how big is the Tristan Thompson situation? How, do, how much does that factor into this? I think without Tristan Thompson, you know, let's say this holdout extends maybe to the All-Star break or maybe even the entire season, I think they, they can get by without Tristan Thompson fairly easily in the East. I think they could still cruise to a top-two seed without him. But where they run into trouble is when you have to start defending teams, you know, maybe in the Eastern Conference Finals, and certainly if they were to make it to the NBA Finals, I don't think they can get over the hump you know, with with Tristan Thompson, that's a big question mark. Without Tristan Thompson, I don't think they beat anybody um, that makes it through the gauntlet in the West and, and into the finals. Yeah, I I don't really think the Tristan thing is like even a thing until we get to the postseason. Like, I don't think it's going to affect their regular season playoff seeding uh, with or without him. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I I think that you know, there's plenty of teams in the West that I would pick over them in a finals with Tristan. And, you know, we might start talking about potential sweeps if he's not around. Right. And and that's very true. I think he was part of the reason they were able to hang in so well with Golden State last season. You take him out of the equation, you kind of exchange him, we'll say, with Kevin Love and you know, obviously, love brings a lot more to the, the table. The Warriors but, would have just right. murdered them on on the Warriors probably wouldn't without, have had to do all the things yeah. that they did, make the adjustments right. that they did after Game Three. If Tristan Thompson doesn't play like he did on the defensive end, and if Kevin Love is in there, so yeah, I mean, I think we both like Cleveland's path back to the finals. But even if they do get there, there's so many lingering question marks. Now, if you if you were to say like, I'll give you the Cavs versus the field in the East for the one seed. Like, would you still go Cavs over the field? Or do you think that, like, because I kind of... one-seater for the finals, like, to get to the finals. Because um, that, that might be different. Because I don't think LeBron cares about the one seed. Yeah, well, like, so if you gave me the, the field versus the Cavs for the one seed, I would take the field just because, I mean, like, you saw last season, the, the Hawks won the won the East by seven games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know who that team's going to be, so I'm not going to pick anyone. But, like, there's... You know we're we're gonna get to these teams in a minute, but there's probably four other teams that I think have a, a non-zero chance of getting that one seed, and I really think that the Cavs are vulnerable enough where if one of those teams just really clicks, they could get it. So I, I think that that that's less of a certainty. But I'm with you. I think the them going to the finals is basically a lock as long as LeBron's healthy. I very much agree with you on pretty much every point there. I don't think there's one team that I would pick over the Cavs as you know a lock-in type of bet but right even if you if you're giving me the field it teams like you know atlanta chicago um washington toronto none of those teams really stand out as you know maybe miami i guess is is probably the top one as teams that could threaten them but i just think the Cavs are going to be in cruise control for a lot of the Mm -hmm. year they're they're only going to have shumbert for half the season they might only have Kyrie for 50 or 60 games 
Um, yeah, I could see this team being only. And they're going to do everything along the way that preserves players' health for the postseason. Like, that's right. the only. They're the only team really in the East that can afford to just punt on regular season wins and favor just health in the postseason. Right. LeBron's tenure in Miami, four years there, uh, obviously the best team in the East, a very similar situation to where he's at now in Cleveland, where. You know, you kind of knew Miami was going to make the finals, or they were at least going to make a deep run, and the, the regular season well, didn't matter. They only ended up with a one seed, and, one out of four years in Miami, and they didn't get it last year. So that's no. that's uh, four of five years that LeBron has been in the East and not gotten the one seed. So I mean, the history tells us they probably won't get the one seed, but picking. You know, I think it was easy. One of those years, I actually did pick the Pacers to get the one seed right. over them, and that was kind of an, an ob- more obvious one. But this year. I mean, nobody had the Hawks over them last year. I, don't, I feel like whoever gets the one seed this year won't be picked by anyone. What's that first year super team curse? You know, like what was mm-hmm. Vegas had the Cavs over under at like sixty-eight sure. wins or something like that, and you know they finished with fifty-three. And I think we might see something a little bit similar to that with the Spurs. I don't think they're as volatile as the Cavs were this past season, or even as Miami was in year one with LeBron. I don't think they shook things up that much. Uh, but you're adding big pieces. You're you're adding them to a veteran core uh, in San Antonio. So I think that that's going to be a little bit of an easier transition for them. But we'll get to the Spurs in a little bit. Number two in the East, I had the Chicago Bulls. You went with the Miami Heat. Um, what was your reasoning there? So I I just really kind of like uh, the foundation that Miami sort of has, uh, the uh, continuity with the, the coach and the GM. I mean, this is – the the Bulls, you know, brand new coach. I think Fred Hoiberg's going to be fine in the NBA, but you know he's he's still kind of going to be learning the ropes a little bit. This is a roster that I think even you know excellent established NBA coaches would have a hard time kind of uh, doling out minutes on. So I actually I don't I don't see the Bulls being like the the kind of juggernaut that I think you know a lot of people sort of see them being on paper. Uh, love a lot of their players like talent wise but you know I think the whole Derrick Rose thing he's I don't know I think like the when he's the focal point of the offense I don't necessarily think that's a good thing and you know Jimmy Butler that we've talked about that but uh the the heat on the other hand I don't really see any uh conflicts in terms of minutes on this this roster I mean everybody should basically know what their role is going to be and have no problem accepting it uh I think that they're gonna now they have enough pieces around Dwayne Wade where they can confidently rest him just all the time (laughs) you know like they can they can give him just so many nights off and I think they'll be fine because the thing about that though is like is that going to get them to the two seed like is Dwayne they can get by with Wade resting but I think they'll kind of be in the same zone as the Cavaliers where they know they're good and they just know they need to get into the playoffs so so, like I think they'll win probably like if they rest him the way that I anticipate them resting him just zero back-to-backs how many games played total then Um, mid-60s I would say like mid-50s um and if if they do that I I really think they could win like 75% of the games he plays in like Well you look at that division too I mean they're going to get a ton of games against Washington, Charlotte, Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um it's a little bit tougher now with the Hawks being the Hawks, you know, obviously they were they weren't the team that they that they were last year in the past, but yeah, I do I do agree with that. I think they're kind of they can kind of cakewalk to a top 5 seed. I just don't know if they get all the way to number 2 if they if Wade is only going to play in 60% of the games. Well, I look at 
their depth that they now have at shooting guard. I mean, last year when Wade didn't play, they were they were just screwed. They were right. playing like Shabazz. Yeah, I mean, they guard. were they were just a lot of minutes for Mario Chalmers Mario and Norris Cole and Shabazz and and guys worse than that. Uh, now they have Gerald Green and Justice Winslow as as the two primary backups there. I think that that's. You know, Gerald Green was like a 26 or 28 minute per game guy on a team that made the playoffs in the West two years ago. Well, and the big thing with him is that he can shoot the three. And that's what yeah. Dwayne Wade has right. never been able to do. That's not something that uh, Shabazz Napier did very well last season. I mean, Gerald Green is a volume three point shooter. There's no, there's no two ways about that. I mean, 5.2 attempts yeah. per game last season, but he shot it at a 35% clip. And I think and, you're fine with that. And Miami needs that. Yeah, Green, Dragic, Bosch, McRoberts, uh, those guys can all shoot it, you know, at, at better than 35%. And, uh, you know, I think Winslow, it's going to take some time maybe, but I think he's shown some some stuff, at least to me, in the in the preseason here, uh, flashes at least of, of a guy that I'm, I'm really excited about long term and uh i like their their depth up front with amari stoudemire and josh mcroberts back uh definitely definitely kind of like those guys in supporting roles so uh love we talked about how much i love eric spolstra in the past so i i think you could easily make a case for the heat the bulls or the hawks for the the two seed there but i'm just going to go with the kind of the overall talent collection on the heat a lot of guys with injury histories, with long injury histories yeah. on that Miami roster, but when you have so much depth, even if they have and two, three injuries, they're still going to be okay. In addition to them being able to maybe kind of play spurs a little bit and, and rest guys strategically, we also have fewer you know, back-to-backs this year, fewer three games and four nights. Right, and so that I might think benefit that, them more yeah, than any other yeah, team in the league. For really. sure. Um, so the Bulls, like so what, what, what do you – I mean, I, I definitely get it. Like, I, I thought about the Bulls here. Um, so, I mean, like, do you think how – do you, how do you think Hoiberg does in terms of – how do you think he contrasts kind of from how Thibodeau handled minutes on this team? I think – yeah, I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen Fred Hoiberg really yet. I just think it's going to be less reliance on veterans, less reliance on that starting five. It kind of has to be, right? I mean, Tibbs was on such an extreme level as far as, you know, pushing his starters to the limit – um, you know, in terms of how many minutes they play, I think if those are all going to come down. I think that's that's only going to be good for this team. Um, you know, even as much as as highly as players have spoken of Tibbs, it sounded like he had kind of finally worn out his welcome uh, by the end of last season. I think that was you know due, a large reason why they ended up making this move. I am a little bit worried about Hoiberg though, and not that's no knock on him. It's just he's a new NBA coach and. It is kind of odd. Like nobody seems to be talking about this, right? I mean, it's usually when you have a new coach, there's there's a lot of, you know, kind of chatter, a lot of speculation. Well, how are things going to change? And everybody just assumes he's going to walk in seamlessly. And and part of that is this roster is so good, and and it's been you know the continuity in that organization. You're bringing back a lot of veterans, so it's not like he's walking into a situation like Derek Fisher going to the Knicks last season or anything like that. But you know, I think it is something that we have to keep an eye on, and maybe not just assume things are going to be humming as usual for the Bulls. And there's a lot of just kind of personal um, relationships he's going to have to build with these players because you have a guy like Paul Gasol who has been, uh, you know, I think he's a great teammate and a great player, but he's a guy that you, you kind of have to be on the same page with. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Derek Rose, uh, two two personalities that are, are kind of clashing at the moment. I mean, as a coach, you kind of got got to get in between that. Uh, I think that the, the Mike Dunleavy injury – is going to hurt them in terms of wins and losses early in the season, but I think it's going to help them down the road because it's going to force guys like Tony Snell and Doug McDermott to get more minutes early on, and I think that's going to help them. 
uh, later later down down in in the approaching the postseason. But uh, tons of talent. Also injury concerns. Obviously, Derek Rose probably being the top one here. But you know, if Joakim Noah comes back and, and right. can approach you know the levels he was at a couple of years ago, I think that that would probably push them over the top there. Exactly, and that's kind of my thinking too. Is I don't think Noah could be any worse than he was last season, and you know, a huge part of that was just he was banged up, and he was probably playing at seventy, maybe eighty percent at best for most of that season, and you know, probably quite a bit lower than eighty percent in the postseason. So I think if if he's back to you know, 90% of even what he was during a couple of years ago. I think last week on the podcast, you mentioned he was a top five MVP mm-hmm. uh, candidate two seasons ago. And I think if he can get back there, that's going to make a huge difference for this team. Taj Gibson's kind of been on the decline the last couple of years. He was banged up toward the end of last season, still banged up in the preseason right now. But Bobby Portis has looked good. And I think Fred Hoiberg is going to be a little bit more willing to give Portis a chance to contribute. And a guy like Doug McDermott, like you mentioned, a little more of a chance for him to contribute, not only with a Dunleavy injury, but just because he doesn't have that same ideology as Tibbs where he's going to really ride those veterans. And I think this team's going to end up being deeper because of it. I think the guy I'm most interested in seeing how he's deployed is Nikola Miritich, just because I think, you know, behind Jimmy Butler and Pau Gasol, he's the most skilled offensive player on this team right now. And I think he should play more minutes than Taj Gibson this year. I think that he should probably – they should find ways to kind of get him minutes at the three and and have Jimmy Butler at the two just so that they can get his shooting on the floor. Uh, but Taj I'll be, Gibson averaging 27 minutes per game last season was way too many. Yeah, he should be kind of in that, that 18 to 20. I mean, like he should be kind of being used as sort of a Brandon Wright type of guy. He's on the back end of his career. Honestly, I mean, the guy yeah. is 30 and a half years old at this point. I just I don't know. I don't see the upside there. He's still a very productive player and a guy that you want into your rotation but yeah I think he probably belongs maybe in the low 20s uh, as far as minutes per game with Miritich getting a lot of the the other minutes there because like you said he just has such a more expansive offensive game obviously not the defender that Taj Gibson is um, but this Bulls team defense has been so good mm-hmm. in the past that they've really been able to compensate especially if a guy like Joe Kim Noah is healthy last note you mentioned Doug McDermott 16 three-pointers through his first five preseason games is there really any <laughs> takeaway in that or is it just preseason I mean yeah, it's just preseason. He's obvi- he can shoot. Like that's not it's not like he needed to prove Wait, that what? to us. Like I mean, we don't we already know that if he is playing minutes and getting looks, like he's going to be one of the better three-point shooters in the league. I, I think that that's He that's did take clear. 11 three-pointers in that opener against Milwaukee. So Why not? He you can know? shoot and I mean, he will shoot. And he's going to have he's, I mean, Mike Dunleavy, I think they initially gave what a 10-week timetable or something like that when that yeah. Uh, back injury and surgery and he's and that that might be on the low he's, end right he yeah. sounded pretty pessimistic about it basically telling the media i hope i can be back at some point this season so i don't like mike dine levy as, as, as a person a, as a, yeah, um yeah. I, I think Obviously. the bulls are going to miss him but it's going to be interesting to see how tony snell and mcdermott and even miritich uh can kind of fill that void so number three in the east i had the miami heat we've already talked about them you went with the atlanta hawks and <laughs> if, if listeners have <laughs> heard our over-under <laughs> podcast you know how i feel about this hawks team yeah. um i'll let you talk first about atlanta and i know you're a little bit higher on them than i am yeah i i really kind of love love nba teams that have uh just a very very distinct sort of pecking order in terms of of playing time um and i think that that kind of goes a long way internally in, in terms of getting you know, one, when you have that five-man unit on the court that plays so many minutes together and can just get to that sort of elite level of efficiency, 
think of that can be really deadly. Uh, Teague, Corver, Millsap, Horford, uh, Thabocephalosha probably be in the, the the fifth wheel there. And you know he's not he's obviously not great, but I think that he kind of meshes well with the the rest of those guys and can definitely fill a role specifically on the defensive end. Uh, Dennis Schroeder I think is is one of my three or four top like breakout candidates this year. I really really think he's going to have a pretty huge year. I might even pick him as a six man of the year uh, going into the season just because I think it, it's just kind of his time and. You know, I think that Corver. I mean, they're just loaded with people that are are very underrated by people that don't watch a ton of basketball, and they don't put up like crazy stats. But when you watch this team play, it's just they don't take bad shots. They they move the ball extremely well. They're really well coached. Uh, I definitely think they're going to be a top four seed. I, I could definitely see the case for taking the Bulls and the Heat over them, but uh, no way I really see this team falling out of the top four. Yeah, and I, I mean. Spoiler alert, I have them at number four in my rankings. And I know – I don't know – I don't really don't know what my, like, personal aversion is to this Hossie. I think I'm still smarting from them getting four All-Stars. And, like, yeah. I just – for no reason at all, I just don't like the whole uh, – the team concept of basketball. Yeah. And I know, well, I know yeah, I mean, you uh, you have like you know Latrell Sprewell and Trace McGrady posters right. on your wall. So I mean, it's exactly. not it's not a it's not a Nick Whalen brand of basketball necessarily. No. But like, I hate the movie Hoosiers, like it, stuff like that. Well, I I do too. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't really find any romanticism in that movie. No. But Give me Coach uh, Carter all these time. are guys like. These guys can like really, really play. Like Al Horford might be a top twenty player in the league. Kyle Korver. Oh, the best. I know. I love them as individual players. Right. Like, I love Teague. Like, Horford is. Yeah, I mean, extremely like, underrated. Teague's, Teague's basically like you know. There's this huge kind of um, push that like you know Mike Conley is like the most underrated player in the league, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of I definitely see that. But I think like we're we're getting really close to Teague kind of getting that same sort of push because they're they're very similar players. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think that there's such a kind of um, system in place here for this team that as long as they don't suffer, you know, a, a big injury to one of those top four guys, I think they're going to kind of just cruise to 50-plus wins. Right, and T was one of the only Hawks to kind of show up in that series against the Cavaliers. Kind of, I mean, obviously I wouldn't say he carried them as they were swept, but – you know, Horford struggled a lot in that yeah. series. He was ejected from a game. Corver was banged up, and they were dealing with. They were pretty beat up. Demar Carroll obviously yeah. had, had the issue there. Carroll was hurt. Um, how much do you think they're going to miss Demar Carroll? I think it's it's going to be noticeable. I mean, they they won like sixty games last year. Yeah, yeah, they won sixty games last year. You know, I think that could cost them four or five wins. Just that that downgrade from Carroll to Sepulosha. Well, that's the thing. It's such a big downgrade. Like, I don't know that the I don't know if Carroll is that good. I could kind of see him being a product of playing with other really good players and in a really mm-hmm. good system. Uh, you know, that type of guy. But th- I think that's a pretty significant downgrade from Carroll to Sepulosha. Yeah, but I mean, I think you know, say it's a five-win downgrade. I think that you're still, still looking at a fifty-five-win team. I think. Teague is a guy that's still getting better. I think Corver is not yet declining. Uh, I mean, he's he's got he's up there in age, but uh, nobody really takes uh, care of his body the way that, that he does. And I think Millsap and Horford are still kind of you know in their prime. So I, I don't really see this team. And I, like I said, Dennis Schroeder is to me going to be uh, this team's fifth best player. So that kind of makes up for a little bit of what you're lacking in, in Thalassophilosia. One thing that worries me with the Hawks is depth. 
We don't really know what's going to happen with Mike Scott. Sounds like he's going to be good to start the year. Um, you know, obviously the pending drug case mm-hmm. over the summer. Um, but once you get beyond that starting five, well, things get a little ugly quick. You, you like you like Schroeder and right. Tiago Splitter right. as Splitter's as backups, a big upgrade right? as a backup center. Uh, but then I'm with you. I mean, I think Tim Hardaway and Ken Bazemore, like I don't think those guys are – either of them are great fits on this team. But mm-hmm. – uh, they're going to get minutes. And like their big offseason get was, other than Splitter, was like Justin Holiday. Yeah. So, I mean, when you have, like, shaky depth, what you need is your your main five to have, like, a huge plus minus, and I think that that's going to be the case. Yeah, I think, I think that will be the case again. Um, they did have pretty decent health from those top five guys last season. Uh, Corver, Millsap, Horford, Teague, and Carroll all played at least 70 games. Carroll was the lowest at 70 himself. So, you know, they're probably going to run into injuries at some point. That's maybe where that depth will be tested. But, again, in the Eastern Conference, I would be pretty comfortable locking the Hawks in as a top five seed and probably a top four seed as well. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so your number four was the Chicago Bulls. My number four was the Hawks, two teams we've already talked about. We both have the same number five, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks. I was very, (laughs) very uh, skeptical of this pick. I mean, obviously – uh, myself being a, a Bucks guy, uh, I don't want to don't want to show too much homerism. I don't I don't trust this team. I think they looked god awful in the preseason. I don't know how much yeah. of that you've been able to well, watch. Well, I I think picking them fifth is like, you know, you could take the the Wizards, the Bucks, the the Raptors, the Celtics, even, and I wouldn't really argue yeah. with you. I think that the Bucks have the highest ceiling of those teams. Um, the difference for me is the Bucks got better this offseason. I think the Raptors and the Wizards either got slightly worse or stayed the same. Mm-hmm. And I think we all agree that those three teams, Milwaukee, Toronto, and Washington, are kind of in their own tier. Call it tier three in the East. You know, Cleveland's the one one tier. Uh, Chicago, Miami, Atlanta are the two tier. And then, you know, this is the third. Yeah, I think uh... – I think the Wizards are more of a lock to make the playoffs than the Bucks, but I think the Bucks have a better chance of getting highest ceiling the, and the lowest floor. I think, right? Those three yes, teams. yes. Uh, so I mean, big issues. Uh, you know, Michael Carter Williams has looked really bad. Uh, they're dealing with some injuries with uh, Parker and Giannis, and then Rashad Vaughn has kind of been impressive uh, relative to kind of what I was expecting so far. So, how much are you buying into? Carter Williams struggles how much are you buying into Vaughn's success and are you confident that that front court's going to be ready to go on on opening night I don't want to take too much away from the preseason so the, the Rashad Vaughn thing has been nice I mean he's been arguably the Bucks best player which mm-hmm. is you know says a lot about the rest of the, the team's yeah. performance so far uh, but you know I mean they've been limited minutes uh Jason Kidd is always toying with new rotations things like that they're they're integrating guys like Vaughn like Damian Inglis who didn't play at all last year Greg Monroe obviously a new addition I'm more worried about Carter Williams and, and Giannis, their alleged improvements as three-point shooters, <laughs> than I am about what they're going to get from Rashad Vaughn. I think anything that they get from Vaughn is a bonus. I don't think they really expect him to be much of a contributor. I mean, he just turned 19 uh, less than two months ago. And they have guys like Bayless. They, they added Vasquez. They have O.J. Mayo. Um, he's in a contract year. You mm-hmm. never really know what you can expect from the juice. But in a contract year, you'd like to think it'll be positive. I don't know if you had, you've had – uh, the opportunity to get a look at him, but he's gone like full Alfred Payton with the hair now. Oh, really? It's it's up there. Good. Yeah, it's gotten considerably longer, so I'm a big Good. fan of that. That makes me happy. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, this is they're going to kind of live and die by the improvement of that starting five. I think you know 
they can probably be a six or a seven seed if Giannis is just as good as he was last year. If Carter Williams is kind of a good passer, a good rebounder, not a good shooter. But if they really want to take that next step, you can't have three or four guys out on the court who can't shoot the ball. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that kind of worries me about Carter Williams is – and I don't know how much of this is the the coaches telling them that he needs to to get his own shot when he when it's available to him, but he doesn't really do the the Rajon Rondo Ricky Rubio thing where he just worries about just setting up his teammates and playing as as he good a defense. As if he can shoot right. That's the problem. Is like if he just. You know, if either get better at shooting or stop shooting, like right, and you he's can't a good do. Enough passer. He's maybe not. He's not Rubio Rondo level, but he's a good enough passer that he can, he can play that type of game. And like right now, today, he's the best defender out of those three guys. So like, you know, I think that the, the what he brings defensively and what he can bring in terms of getting his teammates involved is enough for him to be, you know, the point guard they they need him to be, given that the talent elsewhere on that roster. But what they can't really have is. If he's not an improved shooter this year, they can't have him taking, you know, 11, 12, 14 shots a game. And that's that's kind of the thing that worries me is that he doesn't seem to think that there's any other way to go about it than to just keep shooting. So, uh, you know, you might see Grievous Vasquez be thrust into a, a pretty big role early on if, if Carter Williams is, continues to struggle. I also think that you might see – Jabari Parker not really come close to the minutes that I think some people are, are expecting out of him because, you know, you're going to have Monroe out there who who doesn't really defend. I don't know how much they're going to be able to go with Parker as as the four if if he's not doing a ton on the offensive end. And, and in that case, you're going to see a lot of John Henson. You're going to see Giannis move over to the four a little bit and then them go with, like, Juice or Vaughn at the two. So – you know, Parker's a guy that I'm not really touching in, in fantasy drafts. Carter Williams is a guy who is you, – you probably don't have to pay much for in fantasy drafts, but you should definitely be aware of the fact that he's probably not going to shoot better than, like, 38% from the field. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's a good point with Jabari Parker. You know, if he's not, like, absolutely killing it offensively to the point where you can afford to kind of – uh, have those lapses on D, it's going to be hard to play him alongside Greg Monroe. Um, so I think that, that Henson-Parker pairing we might see a little bit more uh, this season. Carter Williams does give you quite a bit as far as steals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of his biggest calling card when you look at him from a fantasy perspective. Gives you pretty decent assist numbers. Obviously those went down quite a bit when he got to Milwaukee. His minutes uh, decreased, but his, his field goal percentage went up five points. And I think a byproduct or the reason for that was he just started taking fewer three-pointers. He only, he only <laughs> took 28 three-pointers in 25 games with Milwaukee. Took 125 in, 30 or in 41 games for Philadelphia. And, and that was at a 26% clip. So that's the thing with Carter Williams. Even if he, if he doesn't improve as a shooter, he can't be taking them unless he's wide open. And we, I think we talked with this on a previous podcast. One of the biggest issues for Milwaukee last season wasn't necessarily that their shooters were bad. They were. I mean, guys like Giannis and Carter Williams. But the fact that they couldn't shoot and were passing up shooting right. opportunities just kind of clogged up that offense and ended up in a lot of end-of-shot end of clock situations where they took bad shots. So even if you have a guy like Giannis or a guy like Carter Williams who are shooting 25 30%, you'd still rather them take an open look than pass it up and have to have someone else take a contested shot uh, as the shot clock goes down. So a lot of question marks with this team. They haven't looked very good in the preseason, like we said. Then again, it is only the preseason, yeah. but I wouldn't um, read wouldn't read too much into no, that. But, no, um, um, I mean, what are you expecting from Jabari Parker? We touched on him a little bit. You don't think he's going to come close to meeting what a, a lot of the expectations that people have? No, I I 
you know, going back to that draft, I I liked Exum over him. Uh, I liked Embiid over him. Obviously, the Embiid thing. I mean, I I wasn't privy to all the physical issues there, but I just think he's extremely kind of one dimensional. And players like that aren't aren't guys that I view as kind of franchise saviors. Uh, and so, I mean, he's going to get overdrafted. Grievous Vasquez is a guy who I think is going to get significantly underdrafted. Like if you're looking for uh, a late round point guard that is going to do all the point guardy stuff that you want, you know, like assists, uh, three pointers. Uh, he could end up seeing, you know, maybe five or ten more minutes per game than than we're anticipating right now. Yeah. All right. So moving on to number six in the Eastern Conference, you have the Boston Celtics. I went with the Washington Wizards. Um, I mean, it's fair to say I think our our final three teams are are going to be the same, but it's mm-hmm. a different order. But we'll start right now with Boston. You think they jump ahead of Washington and Toronto? And I assume this has a lot to do with coaching. You assume correctly. Yeah, that was that was going to be the the first thing I brought up when comparing those two teams. Uh, you know, I, would you say that the Wizards maybe have the three best players if you combine if you look at those two rosters? Like, would Wall, you? Wall, Beal, and Gooden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um, exactly what I mean. I yeah, I was I, I was saying like Gortat versus like whoever you think the Celtics' best player might be. Close. I think Kyle Lowry's ahead of Brad Beal. Or I, I was talking about the. The Celtics and the Wizards. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you could make a case that the yeah. the Wizards probably have the top three, or at least so, maybe the top four. Yeah, so that's not really like top end talent. Like it's the Wizards, and it's like not even close. But then I think if you look at say, like the fourth through eighth best players on those rosters, I'd, I'd probably give the Celtics the edge there. Huge coaching edge. Uh, I think that they. You know, if they're contending, they're a team that's in position. I mean, if they're contending for like a, a mid-middle playoff spot in the in the East, they're a team that's in a really good position to kind of acquire some talent uh, throughout the season. Whereas the Wizards, I don't really think that's going to be in the cards for them necessarily. I think that there's uh, people may not be factoring in how big of a downgrade losing Paul Pierce is going to be on that team. So it's going to really kind of fall on John Wall and Bradley Beal to to make continued strides i mean wall's so good already that i don't know how much better he can be uh we we were looking at the mvp odds the other day he's 50 to 1 i actually really like that just because you could see him if there is another gear that he can get to the east is wide open enough where if he kind of gets into that sort of like top 10 player in the league uh class and pushes this team to like a, a two or a three seed you can make a, a pretty strong case that he he could get some MVP votes there, but that would basically require Anthony Davis to get hurt. Right. But in that scenario, I mean, and that, yeah. if Davis were to go down, I think, or just miss like if Anthony Davis misses like fifteen games, that might be enough to yeah. kind of open it up for someone else. Uh, I Beal is the one that's got he's still got a ton of room in between where he's at right now and kind of where I thought he'd be at this point in his career. But that almost worries me as much as it kind of excites me because, like, he's not doing the stuff that I kind of thought he – I thought he'd basically be Clay Thompson right now, and he's not. I mean, he's he's definitely a level below that. So uh, those two guys would both have to kind of make strides, I think, to appropriately make up for the decline of the, the front court guys and the loss of Paul Pierce. 
sounds like they're going to bring Nene off the bench Good. this season, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how Nene's going to feel about that. One of the notoriously uh, grumpier players in the league. But, yeah, that, that's like we said when we were talking about the Bucks. I just don't think Washington got any better. I think they mm-hmm. stayed the same. I don't think they got a whole lot worse. Like you said, the, the loss of Paul Pierce is going to hurt, I think, more than a lot of people think it will. Um, yeah, they added Jared Dudley. I don't know how much how big of a deal that really is. I mean, like, if you really think Otto Porter's good, then you could then sure. definitely make a case for this team being a slam dunk uh, five seed. Right. But I think I don't really know what it is that he does well. Like, I don't I don't think he is terrible at anything, but I don't think there's like one or two things that he's really good at, and those types of players uh, kind of worry me. Uh, Dudley, I think is is perfect as like an eighth man, <laughs> but right. you don't want to you don't or possibly even like if he starts getting minutes as like a stretch four and Nene comes off the bench, like yeah, I mean that's that's not ideal. And the, as we said, the coach, I don't know how long he can keep that job. Like it's it's just kind of a Are weird. You tell me you don't buy into that whole narrative that Randy Whitman was secretly a good coach and he tanked the regular season and then waited to use Paul Pierce at the four. So that's like that's kind of an absurd hypothesis. Um, that was although it would around. it would be like it'd be kind of a cool move, like if he had any sort of a track record of making cool moves like that. But you know, there's there's also just so many other things that he does that are that are just very weird. Uh, you know, he's gonna get fired at some point. Like that's I think we can kind of book that and. Um, <laughs> what would it take though? Like in the East, I mean, how far would they have to slide for him to like, be considered? Well, a huge here's what it might take: is if they're pursuing a, a certain free agent, and that free agent says like, "This guy's your coach." Like, you know, that might be all it really what, takes. Now, what possible big name free agent would they even go after? I don't know. Like, there's who on the market is like from DC or something. Want to go there? Um, he, yeah, that I, he's not really like the coach killing type, but it's also just so like if you're this is like the most Durant's ever going to be courted in his life you're really going to pick the team that has Randy Whitman as the head coach like I feel like you're just going to be a huge downgrade from Scott Brooks no but I mean Durant like knew Scott Brooks and was like friendly with Scott Brooks like he has no relationship with Randy Whitman other than probably he's heard tale from like john wall and bradley beal about like how weird whitman is and how you think they would if it comes to it say whitman makes it through the season the wizards get the four the five seed um you know maybe they win in the first round and get and get knocked out in the in the eastern semifinals if if duran is seriously considering them and say they bring him in for a meeting this summer and he says i'm not coming here if randy whitman's the coach do you think they'll basically say all right you can pick who the next coach is do they give him that kind of treatment um you know, just the way that the these kinds of deals are sort of brokered uh, behind closed doors, you know, I wouldn't rule out like a guy like Calipari or something like that. You know, like some if, TBSA if, guy. if a guy like knows, you know, just a crazy big name that you just would not even Tibbs? think like I, I can't imagine Durant wanting to play for Tibbs. Um, but like, you know, say say like Cal gets a call from Durant or uh, Cal calls Durant and says like, Hey, like our, my agent's been talking and like they, you know, I'd be interested in that job if you're interested in going there and like that, you know, something like that could happen. But, I think a lot more of this stuff probably goes on behind the scenes right. that we never hear about, especially guys like us, you know, who aren't Brian Windhorst. But yeah, I mean, like the John Wall connection to Calipari is there. Brad Beal was a right. FIBA guy. 
uh, where Calipari helped coach on that staff. Obviously, uh, he has the USA. Yeah. I mean, what better Durant. what better way to to jump back to the NBA than to take a team with John Wall and Kevin Durant on it? I mean, yep. that's that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's just after the top guys on the Wizards, I'm not that excited. There, nobody really excites me on the Celtics except the fact that they have about ten guys that can legitimately play NBA minutes. And I think with a coach like Brad Stevens, that's uh, a really valuable tool because he's going to be able to kind of mix and match, I think, and just kind of extract the most out of this. Uh, you know, I, that front court is – it's like I've never seen a front court like this before where there's like five guys. Drew Gooden, stretch four. Like, the, I mean, well, I'm talking about like the, the Celtics. Oh, okay. like Like Zeller, Olenek – Amir Johnson, David Lee, Jared Selinger. Bizarre. Like, those guys are just so close to each other in terms of just talent and deficiencies. And it's just, how do you how do you manage those minutes? Well, Steven said yesterday that ideally they're going to play four big men most nights. And I don't think that includes garbage time minutes, obviously. But he right. said, you know, okay. first three quarters of games, you know, first 44 minutes of games, uh, they want to play four big men. And those four, I think he, he speculated, would be Zeller. Uh, Olinick, Lee, and Johnson. So, so not, not Sullinger? That, no, no Sullinger, no Jarebko. Well, no. Jay Crowder saw minutes at power forward. I think he sees most of his minutes at small forward this year. But Sullinger's on the outside looking in. That's I don't think he. Interesting. I think he got on the wrong side of things being out of shape last year. He showed up out of shape again this year. He's a guy who's pretty much been out of shape his whole life. He's just been a good basketball player at being out of shape. Didn't he have those pictures, like before and after pictures, where the after pictures <laughs> he was still fat? Like, well, he was like skinnier, but still had like. Yeah, he has like a very yeah. pear shaped body. I. That's surprising to me just because I think uh, Zeller and Olenek are guys that really should not be playing that much on, like, a good team, whereas, like, I think Sullinger at least has the upside to be someone that plays, like... I, I, He's I'm, a very good rebounder, but, like, his, I think he shot something like 41%, 42%, which is, like, absurdly low for a power forward in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not questioning 40, Brad Stevens. If, if Brad Stevens doesn't want to play Sullinger, that's that's fine by me. Um, and somebody has to be the odd man out, right? Right, and you, you definitely want to reward the guys that are that are putting uh, the the game and their bodies and the, and the team, like, in, in front of donuts and stuff, so... Uh, I definitely get that. Uh, don't really love anyone in their backcourt either, but they have enough guys that can kind of play. Uh, don't love anybody on their wings either, but they can all kind of play. So this is just a huge bet by me on Brad Stevens and the fact that I think the Celtics will uh, infuse that roster with talent throughout the season. All right, so I have the Toronto Raptors at number seven. You have the Wizards. Washington Wizards at number seven, a team we and just talked about. I have Raptors eight. And you have Raptors eight. I have Celtics eight. Uh, okay. I put the Pacers up there as kind of a slash with the Celtics. I think they get they end up yeah. ninth. There's a huge deficiency in coaching there. Uh, well, actually, maybe not. I don't know. I think I do like Frank Vogel. Oh no, I, I shouldn't say I don't that. think there's a huge I deficiency. St- I just think Brad there. Stevens is that good, to be honest. And I think there's there's maybe more of a deficiency in talent than coaching. I think the Pacers could actually make me look stupid for not putting them in. Yeah, because like I I actually think Vogel. If you're just looking at the the these the coaches on these nine Eastern Conference teams, you know I might put, you know I think Spo, Bud, Vogel, and Stevens are the four best. Uh, maybe Jay Kidd is in that mix, but I, I think I'd take those four guys over Kidd. For so, as bad as the East is, there are some very good coaches. So I think Vogel's a probably a top four coach in that conference. I'm just not sold on the pieces around they have, uh, Paul George. They have. You could argue. 
the second or third best player in the conference in Paul sure. George if he comes back and is Paul George and he's looked like it so far in the preseason. Other than that, this roster is nothing short of weird. I mean, it's, you got Monte Ellis. It's, it's uh, god awful. If there's one player that <laughs> if there's one player at the end of last season that you said who would Larry Bird hate to have on his team? Yeah. You'd be like, oh, Monte Ellis. Who do they go sign? Monte Ellis. George Hill's back at point guard. He's serviceable. Um, Rodney Stuckey was actually pretty good last season as kind of a combo off the bench guard, but I don't know if pretty good really gets it done for you. C.J. Miles is going to be starting as a small forward, a guy that I like off the bench, a volume three-point shooter, but again, not a guy you probably want seeing 30, 35 minutes a game. And the, the biggest problem is just the front court depth. It's Jan Mahimi is going to start at center for this team. They have Jordan good. Hill. Um, Hill's a little bit undersized, not a great defender. And then you have Miles Turner, who Larry Bird possibly trolled by calling him the best shooter on the team. Uh, this is a guy who shot 27% <laughs> from three at Texas last year. Uh, I think this Pacers team is either going to be surprisingly pretty good, you know, and could end up as like the seven or eight seed, or they could end up kind of things could fall apart pretty quickly, and, and this team could kind of turn on uh, on the direction that Larry Bird wants to go. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that you think that might have been like trolling, like kind of like uh, right? like sort of like how like you come to work and like if there's like somebody in the office that is you know lauded for being like really good at like softball or something like that, you like you like ask them about how their game went and like just kind of pump up their ego a little bit like maybe that's what bird's doing with with miles turner and his, well i didn't his see it as like trolling shooting. turner it was almost like trolling like george and cj miles and those guys oh. like you know okay well yeah no i mean it's it's just it was a weird comment i very i very weird i think the pacers are very very close like if they don't make the playoffs it'll probably be like a one or two game uh difference i just I couldn't really make a case for any of those other teams falling out. The Raptors, I think that they, they like I, like we talked about on the Over Under podcast. I'm I'm constantly underrating them, like going into each season, and they they keep proving me wrong. But I don't I don't know. I just you know they could they could be a top six team, I guess, in the East. They they have that's their peak. I think competent players at every position, but. I feel like the, the the writing's sort of on the wall that maybe Dwayne Casey might not like if they get say they get off to like a twelve and twenty start to the season or something like that. Dwayne Casey could lose his job like at that point, and so yes. I think after back to back first round exits, getting swept in the way that they did with all the hype that was surrounding that team last year, and just really didn't put up much of a fight against against Washington. Um, so we'll, that finishes up the East, yeah, correct. Um, We'll get to the Western Conference in just a second. First, a word from DraftKings. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. In week six, DraftKings will be hosting another Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1.2 million goes to first place. If you go to DraftKings.com now, you can enter the promo code ROTOHOOPS. That's R-O-T-O-H-O-O-P-S. That'll let you play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. Again, that promo code is ROTOHOOPS for free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. So now the Western Conference. Things get a little bit more dicey here. Um, I think we, for the most part, agree which teams, at least in the top seven, will be in. I think uh, we might disagree on the order, but we do both have the same number one team. And, yeah. you know, I just kind of went with the philosophy of until someone else knocks them off, they're the number one, and that's the Golden State Warriors. Well, and they were such a convincing number one. Yes. Like, I mean, how many teams that win 67 games and don't lose anybody of note 
like end up being much worse than that the next season. Like, they lost somebody of note in David Lee, but a guy who didn't really right. contribute to that last year. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really in their rotation uh, for a good chunk of the season. And I think you could – you know, I look at this roster. Like, health was obviously a big part of them having that big year. But I, I look at guys like Harrison Barnes and Festus Azili and maybe even Draymond Green and – possibly even like clay thompson as guys who are either just getting to their peak or might have a little bit more uh to go in terms of development and you know bogut to me is is definitely on the downfall but uh you know we talked on the over under pod i I love festus azili long term and i think that he is probably a better player than bogut right now could kind of give them uh, a really nice dimension there at the five and they you know harrison barnes is someone who he's been kind of an, an enigma in terms of fantasy, but this is a guy that really has a ton of talent. I mean, shoots the ball extremely well from deep, uh, probably going to be even more involved in that offense this year. And, and then as long as Curry and Thompson are healthy, I don't know how you guard this team, especially if you like are running into them on like a back to back or it's just, it's, there's going to be some, some pretty ugly games. We've already seen some, some plays in the preseason where it's just like, what? They're not like, going to miss a beat. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of insane. Like the, some of the stuff that Curry can do. And yeah, I, I, I love what they have in terms of just the, the stability in that organization right now. I just impossible to really pick against them. Right. There's nobody on this team that you think, like vastly overachieved last season and no. you know they're not like the hawks where you, you look and it's like this just isn't sustainable it's like steph curry could probably get better I mean, this guy only has two all-star appearances right now clay thompson can get better harrison barnes i think can take another step he's got a, another gear or two that we yeah. might see later in his career um iguodala i mean he's a guy who didn't really play all that well in the regular season obviously he was the finals mvp and stepped up big in that series yeah. maybe like, if, if you're gonna point to one guy who maybe regresses a little bit sure it's iguodala and it's like they don't really need it does right like, yeah it's like they, they don't need him like sean livingston is good um yeah. like i mean they even added a guy like kevon looney probably not gonna play a game in the no. nba this year but you know things like that they're, they're take a flyer on a high upside guy like that who in maybe kinda, two or three years down the road ends up playing a role that kind of reminded me of when the the thunder took a flyer on um mcgarry uh why am i blanking on this the guy from baylor perry jones, perry jones. uh like you know, extreme talent, extreme athlete, but you know, with Scott Brooks, that really probably never had a chance. Whereas, right. like this, this could could work out with Looney. Well, the thing with, with Golden State is like you could go grab a more NBA ready guy. I'm trying, to, I don't know who was available at the end of the first round there off the top of my head, but he wasn't going to play. Anyway. No, you might as no. well take a project type of guy. Yeah. And I think Looney is about as high upside as you're going to get with the last pick in the first round. I mean, if you were to say that this team, say, doesn't get to 60 wins. I think that involves a significant Steph Curry injury, like, you know, 20-plus games. Are we ready to declare that he's kind of over the ankle injuries that plagued him through the first few years? I think so. And and they have, like, the best uh, – their advantage is that they blow so many teams out that his minutes – like, he plays less than 30 minutes, like a good chunk of games because he doesn't need to play more than that. Um, I, I just – it's going to take like a, an injury to Curry, I think, for them to not at least be a top three seed in the West, and I definitely think they're the favorite to be the the one seed. Now, two seed, two through basically seven, 
I would not fault you for doing kind of anything. Uh, It wouldn't be insane to even throw like the Pelicans, maybe not at number two, but like they could get a top four four seed. Sure. Uh, I mean, you could. It's really you can kind of go wherever you want. It's you're kind of picking favorites like here. You're kind of just like, I just really, really, really like what that team did or or really like the the pieces on that roster. So I, I went Rockets. You went Clippers. I considered the Clippers, obviously. I mean, both teams. I think got a lot better in the off season. Both teams have crazy depth. Any um, other year, almost you would like the Clippers, the Rockets would be like a lock as your number one yeah. projected seed, right? But the Warriors both, are so good. I like, would project both as the easy one in the East. There are six teams in the Western Conference that I could, I could at least understand an argument for the one seed. Maybe five. Memphis, I think, is a little bit below that. But Warriors, Clippers, Rockets, Spurs, Thunder. and Thunder. Yeah. I think you could all make a very compelling case that they could easily be the number one seed and you wouldn't be surprised at all not if they at were all the one no seed. not one bit at all i think i would be i'd be pretty surprised if the grizzlies were the one seed uh, but yeah. then you look at a team like what portland was able to do for most of last season uh you know they were kind of right up in that conversation until the injuries hit them um and I, I think the grizzlies are probably better than that portland team the, last year the thing is like so like you have the clippers number two I literally can't come up with an argument for why they shouldn't be number two. I can just come up with arguments for why I think the Rockets yeah, should and be that's, number that's two. That's what this is like, with these teams. Like, there's no, there's no weaknesses almost. No. Like, you look at these top five, six teams, and it's like, where do you point to as like this is one major glaring issue? So like, the Rockets' biggest issue is they have a star player that might not fit as well as people think. And Ty Lawson, like, that's a pretty good problem to have as see, far as problems go. I don't think he's a star player. I think he was the best player in Denver for a while, and, like, that kind of raised his sort of value, especially in, in terms of fantasy. But I think he's a supporting player who fits perfectly in what they do with that, that fast-paced offense. And I think that he's a player who, you know, say the – off-court stuff is just a, a big-time issue that we're not necessarily uh, accounting for. I don't think he's necessary for this team to be a top-four seed. Like, if, if they didn't have him, I still would have picked them probably as a top-four seed just because of what they have up front and what they have in Harden, who behind Davis is, is probably my, my second pick to win MVP this year. So, you know, just having Ariza Brewer at, at the three, Jones Matayunas at the four, Howard – capella at the five i mean that's insane depth up front and then like yeah like harden and and lawson and beverly and and jason terry i mean they just they go so deep they can they can run you off the court i think most nights and i don't really love the coach but i don't really think it matters there uh how much do you think they're going to miss josh smith which if think about it this conversation if we were having it at the (laughs) beginning of last season just how insane and ridiculous it seems but I mean, he was huge for them, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, the guy that's just so versatile. He was huge for them in the in the playoffs in in terms of turning that that Clippers series around. But I really kind of look at 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 Brewer as basically you know Josh Smith light in terms of what he does in transition and what he can do you know getting in passing lanes and stuff. And you forget that, or you didn't forget, but I mean, like people might forget that. They didn't have Jones or Moda Yunus in in those those playoff games, right. and those Dwight two Howard guys played with you know sprained knee right. ligaments. Yeah, played forty one regular season games. Like, there's so much to like, like about this Houston team. Jones, Moda Yunus, like those two might be like I don't know three and four in terms of best players on that team. Like those guys are extremely talented at the four, and like Clint Capella, like we talked about uh, you know Dennis Schroeder being one of my breakout candidates. I think Capella is 
is right there with him, like a, a guy who I'm definitely going to try to get in in dynasty leagues this year. He, he might not get more than like 15 minutes a game, but I think he, what he could do stuff in 15 minutes a game that would be useful in a lot of leagues in terms of like you know over a block and a half. I think. Did you uh, see the poster he put Brandon Knight on the other night? I I think I heard about that. I've seen some of his highlights. I mean, he's he's just insane. Like uh, the free throw shooting is obviously going to be an issue, but you kind of deal with that yeah, when I the guy does the everything else. Yeah. Well, then even you look at a guy like Montrez Harrell. I think maybe one yeah, of the most. he might not like him and Sam Decker are both on this team, and yeah. they're not really going to be rotation guys. I don't think Decker would have been a rotation guy for most teams, but like Montrez Harrell, he is what he is. You know, he's kind of a yeah. Kenneth Fareed light type of guy, and I think. There's not a ton of room for improvement for him. I think he's about as NBA ready as he was going to be coming out of mm-hmm. Louisville. And for a lot of teams, he would be a, a decent like eighth or ninth man to just kind of come in and be an energy guy. Like, I think he could be Jeff Adrian, who's been quietly very productive for a lot of bad teams. He's kind of, uh, you know, who who are the guys that they were playing at the four like in the regular season when Jones and Marty Eunice were out? Was it like yeah, I mean, Josh Smith? Like um, there was some other guys that they were playing. Was Jeremy Tyler on the team then? I don't, I don't know. think he was. But there. They had some Joey just kind of yeah, like Dorsey, yeah. like they had some bums kind of getting twenty minutes a game for them at times last year. I mean, Harold's an upgrade over those types of guys. Yep. So uh, really, I think just he's an upgrade for what they do. He's not a guy that's going to come in and look for shots. Yeah. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to kick it back out and just keep possessions. And I think he's yeah. I think from what I saw at Louisville, I think he's a great teammate, like a guy, yep. uh, kind of a sort of a Draymond Green type of guy that just all he really wants is the team to win and right. doesn't really care I don't about think he, I mean, else. I don't think you're saying he plays like Draymond no, Green no, no, at all. No. I think he's a lot more but limited. Like, but he's a guy, guy that, that you look at like, like any team wants Very that coachable. Very like coachable, very, right. you know, a guy that it's going to kind of hold his teammates accountable. Um, yeah. Sam Decker probably spends all year in the D-League or most of the year in the D-League. Well, I mean, he'll be like on the bench. I mean, he'll probably, what do you think, he maybe plays like minimal minutes in like 30 games. But Well, like what's the point of having him like – not play in ga- like games in the NBA right now. Like, wouldn't you want him playing in the D League? Oh yeah, I mean, I think he plays like most of his actual playing time comes in Rio Grande Valley, but mm-hmm. I think he'll like he'll be with the Rockets. Like they want and him they, practicing. With they him have KJ so McDaniel's that. who they don't really need in the D League. I mean, he kind of is what he is too. I think at this point, and it's a nice Swiss Army knife to have. Yeah, though. and a guy who can play this sh- two and a half, three positions. Crazy, crazy, crazy depth. Uh, what about Let's see talk about the Clippers? Yeah, the clips. Speaking of crazy, crazy depth, depth. like they have, they might even be deeper, which is they, crazy. They're definitely deeper on the wing. Yeah. I mean that they're they're probably probably too deep on the wing. Like that's the thing. It's they like, have did too you really many guys. Need to add yeah. Lance Stevenson? Did you really need to add Wes Johnson? It's like, sure, they're nice to have, but I mean, this team is this team is so deep. It's going to be tough, I think, for because at least at least with the Rockets, there's very clear like. You know, maybe at the four, Mikhail might struggle all year, kind of determining who plays more out of those two guys. But on the Clippers, obviously Chris Paul gets all the minutes he can handle at point guard. Obviously Blake Griffin, all the minutes he can handle at point at power forward, and and same with uh, Jordan at center. But then at small forward and and shooting guard, like how do you dole out the the minutes at shooting guard with Redick and Stevenson and Crawford? How do you dole out the minutes at at small forward with with Pierce Johnson, Smith and and Stevenson? It's it's just it's going to prove to be pretty challenging I think for Doc Rivers. I think so too and I don't I don't love this team from a fantasy perspective outside of the the known right. names, you know, Jordan Griffin, Paul and Redick I think are pretty safe, but yeah, when you look at that small forward rotation, it's like is Paul Pierce really going to play that much? I think he'll be more of like a fourth quarter type of guy, you know, is when he really earns his money i love the josh smith edition because I, I love josh smith but like 
like you said, where does he play? Like you know, I mean, Josh like, Smith gets like he gets the backup power forward minutes. Sure. And then, I really it. think that should be it. Like, I, if I was he doling was out the minutes year. here, like, but I like him as a like 18 minutes a game type of guy that just is all energy and all just kind of you know you can, can kind of any, swing will a, have any problems with guys like josh smith uh and i guess lance stevenson buying in to those type of roles i mean lance stevenson just had that quote last week you know complaining that he wasn't you know didn't get the ball enough if he's supposed to be a superstar for charlotte they didn't give him the ball enough and now he's going into a situation where he's probably going to be relying so, on even less well the nice thing that the Clippers have is in guys like Paul and Griffin, they have guys that can kind of control that locker room. And, you know, I think Chris Paul has a lot of the a lot of the, the qualities that people point to in like Michael Jordan in terms of just being a teammate, in terms of like everybody knows that like it the buck stops with him and and you know, that kind of thing. And Doc Rivers probably one of the I wouldn't say he's a top five coach just in terms of X's and O's, but probably a top five coach in terms of handling personalities. So I think that there's, you know, if, if ever Lance Stevenson was going to buy into this kind of a role, I think this is a good spot for him. But, you know, also, what are you going to say? Like, you, it's easy to say I should have gotten more minutes in Charlotte, but are you going to complain about not getting minutes when right. guys like Paul Pierce are playing ahead of you? Like, Yeah, that's the thing. It's like if he gets out of line, there's going to be guys there to get yeah. right back in line. I think there's going to be a lot more accountability. And they, the they don't need him, too. No. Like, they can send that's him home. Saying. Like, they can send any of these guys home if they're being problems. Yep. So, uh Wes Johnson is a guy who's not going to be a problem. Like they could give him like five minutes a game or 20 minutes a game and he'll just go out there and, and do what he does. Uh, you know, yeah, just so much veteran leadership. The I'm, only thing I don't like about this team is I don't see any Arizona Wildcats on this ooh, roster. Ooh, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's probably, that was probably the difference between them being uh, my, my two seed and my three seed. It was the, the lack of Wildcats, but uh you know, I mean, it, it's there's it's it's impossible to pick holes in this team. Impossible to really pick holes in the Rockets. What about at, at number three? You have the Thunder. I had the Clippers. The, Talked about the Clippers already. So yeah, talk a the bit Thunder. I I just this is I kind of went in favor of the teams that had an established coach, which is what I did with uh, with the Bulls, like knocking them down a couple spots in the East. I just think that it's it's going to be hard for obviously there's there's plenty of room for improvement on the coaching side of things in OKC but uh this isn't an easy roster to kind of maneuver either especially up in the front court so I, how do you see those minutes sort of playing out uh in terms of obviously I think Ibaka his his role's set but with with Cantor Adams do you see do you see McGarry playing really at all most nights? I mean, I think Collison I like McGarry a lot. I hope he plays. Collison's earned the right, I think, to play 15 minutes a game. Uh, yeah, but he's another guy that if he doesn't, it's not going right. to be problems. So now, I think that's, that's but how nice do you see how do you see Cantor and Adams minutes playing out? I, I don't know. I mean, this is it was such a unique situation because we didn't really get a look at what this team looked like at all last year. But Durant out, they I don't think Durant's played a game with Cantor, has he? No. I don't think he did. Um, he had a he had a kind of a funny quote the other day where he was like, "Say what you want about him, but you know he's seventeen and ten in the book." Like, so like, yeah. say what you want about him. Like, what I love when a like guy says that before like saying a compliment because it's like, 
Well, there's a lot I, I could say about him. Like, he can't play defense at all. Like, he might be worse defensively than Jabari are, Parker. I, I will say there are a lot of guys that, given the opportunity, could put up 17 and 10. Yeah. Like David Lee, for example. Yeah. No, uh, I mean. Like is Anis Cantor, like, that much better than David Lee? Probably right now, yeah. He's better. Yeah, I think he's better uh, in terms of scoring down low. But it's it's just, do you really need that all the time? When you have Durant and Westbrook and Ibaka on the court, is there anything really to be gained by having a, a stud offensive center who can't play defense? Because I, I think that I don't know. It's, that's the thing. Is like your risk. It's a risky move. It's a high risk, high reward move, right? I mean, this this team with Durant healthy and Westbrook healthy is a perennial top three team in the mm-hmm. West. And you know, Ibaka is kind of it raises their ceiling. It does, but it also lowers their floor. And I it, think. it well. So what? Like I think you do ideally. It'd be a lot easier to sort of evaluate what they should do with Canner if he hadn't just gotten signed to that stupid deal. Right. Uh, I mean, in theory, whenever you're resting Westbrook or Durant, you have Canner out there to be the you know de facto second option on offense. And whenever Durant and Westbrook are both on the court, you probably opt for defense and and have Canner on the bench because. Do you think they start Canner? And move Ibaka to center? I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't think they should, but I think they might have to. Well, I think that wouldn't they have – if they started Canner, I think Canner would would match up at center or would – I don't know. I mean, I mean he's, he's going to be in the post way more than Ibaka. I don't, it could be positionless in a yeah. way. You know, I think it would be whoever the opposing team's better offensive player is is who Ibaka matches up with. And he's the rare like rim protector who can get out on the perimeter and defend out there. And the thing is, is like I really like Steven Adams. Like I, If I was – you know, he's starting such a, a great team to have in the role that they have like he's such he's like a perfect uh you know 20 25 minute a game big man to have because you know he's he's dirty like he's he's a guy that in like a postseason series he could swing it just by you know getting in the head of a guy like Blake Griffin or something he's like Kendrick like, Perkins but good at basketball right right and he's you know he could he could be a double double guy if he were getting 25 minutes a game so um he's just a great asset i think for this team a guy that you don't like you look at we're talking about whether or not he should even start and like you said for 25 other teams he's a a no-brainer starter and a guy who i'm really sort of excited to see how uh donovan deploys relative to what scott brooks did is is anthony novak (laughs) (laughs) is is anthony morrow uh just because i thought morrow should have been getting like close to like 28 minutes a game maybe at the two last year just because of what he can do uh from three point and obviously scott brooks wasn't having any of that i think that if they if they go westbrook morrow durant ibaka like who can who can stretch the floor like that in terms of your top four or your one through four spots i mean that's that's kind of insane that would open a, a ton like of stuff up they're for probably start andre roberson right and that's kind of like the safe pick i think they right. just want him to be their cephalosha will he be the 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 starter who who starts and then comes out and maybe doesn't play again he'll start like, <laughs> average like 12 minutes a game yeah, yeah yeah i mean like the other guy we haven't talked about yet at all is Dion waiters he's yeah. kind of the Dennis cantor of this backcourt i sort of wish that he they'd found a way to kind of get rid of him in the yeah, offseason. I just he doesn't fit with this team at no. all. I don't think you can win a championship. What with team does he fit with? He's the I think he he's, would be totally happy on the Sixers. Right. Yeah, no. He he's a perfect to be, to he's a perfect Sixer because like he guarantees that you like you can play him without looking like foolish in the eyes of like your fans, right. but he will make you worse. Didn't like, he like 
try to get traded to the 76ers at one point, <laughs> like when he was still on the cast. Someone should just appease him and get him traded there. I feel like there. he tried to do that. And he, like, was, he was basically like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go there and just yeah. play for a bad Hell team. Yeah. Like, Hell yeah. Great. Yeah, no, get him yeah, over I think there. the Hornets would probably love him. That'd be a great place for him. Yeah, I don't know that they'll actively be trying to trade him. I think that worked. I mean, his numbers weren't great last season, but I think the fit maybe worked out a little bit better than a lot of people thought it would as far as like him being not a huge problem and a big distraction for them. The, the other team, if if he if I could just pick a team for him to go to, uh, I would like him to be on the Lakers just because oh I think boy. that, uh, you know, you already have Nick Young and Lou Williams who are going to really, really piss Kobe off this year. Throw Deion Waiters into that mix, and we could just get, like, a Kobe face gif, like, once a night. It would just right. be great. Or as Rotowire's Mario Puy called it, a GIF. A, a GIF, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I we, we always, like – I always I hear people it debate it if it's GIF or GIF. I've never heard anyone just like punt and say GIF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lost it this morning. I'm like, wait, did you just say that? Yeah. But then again, I don't know how it's pronounced. I don't yeah, know if no. anyone actually knows. No, so. Nobody knows. No. Um, um, so, okay, that's. Deion Waiters would actually fight Kobe. That's the thing. Like, Nick Young and Lou Williams are harmless. Right. You know, they, they would, you know, when it comes down to it, they'll defer to Kobe. But, like, Deion harmless. Waiters would be the one to be like, you know what, Kobe, let's do this. And he'd probably end up dead. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, Lou Williams has even found a way to to date two girls at the same time and God, and remain hero. harmless. Yeah. Um, um, so so we we've we've covered Warriors, Clippers, Thunder, Rockets. Uh, we both have those four teams in our top four. Uh, then you go, you go. Let's see. I go Grizzlies. You go five. Grizzlies five. I go Spurs five. I have and Spurs you six. Spurs you six. Have so. I I actually kind of like that you did that. I didn't really have the balls to, uh, just because the Spurs have really a, an awesome track record, and you know the Aldridge thing, David West, etc. But I totally get it because I think people might not realize how bad Tony Parker could be this year. Like I I think that he could really kind of fall off a cliff this year. The only thing with that is it would be extremely spurs of him to like punt Eurobasket to, <laughs> to make everybody think that he's washed up and then yeah. come back. Maybe um, yeah. Well, that's where all the concern stems he's from. He's got right? a little Randy was, Whitman in him. Right, exactly. Just, yeah, just always playing, always playing the <laughs> angles. Randy Whitman's always one step ahead. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of the, the root of the concern with him is he played really, really badly in Eurobasket. You know, and he was efficient. really bad at the end of last really year. Like that's year. that's the reason they lost that series. And they don't have Corey Joseph anymore. They did get quite a bit better in the front court. I think Tim Duncan's still really good, mm -hmm. and I think the additions of Aldridge and West mean we're going to see less Tim Duncan, which might not end up being good for the Spurs during the regular season. And that's why I have them at six, because I think they're in the same zone that we talked about with the Cavaliers, we talked about with the Heat. They're more concerned about getting to the playoffs, being a top. I mean, they don't, I don't care. I don't think they care what seed they were. They were a six seed last year, and they were totally fine with that. They just want to get into the playoffs healthy and go from there. So I don't think. I don't think Duncan, you know, maybe he plays like two minutes less per game this year than he did last year. But to me, that the the fewer minutes he plays, the more productive he'll be on a permanent basis. I think that like if he was only playing like say twenty five or twenty six minutes a game, when he's out there, he's going to just be a force, especially defensively. And I don't think David West plays much more than like eighteen or twenty minutes a game, just because that's that's no, just not so that's completely unnecessary. Uh, Boris Dia still still going to get some minutes. Uh, Patty Mills is a guy that I'm actually going to probably be targeting in in some deeper leagues this year, just because of the the aforementioned Parker concerns. 
Mills is one of those guys that can fill it up uh, in terms of three-point shooting and points per game uh, without hurting you in field goal percentage. Like He's very efficient, even though almost all of his shots are from beyond the arc. Uh, so I like him quite a bit. Do you see – is this the year that, that Kyle Anderson gets integrated, or are we still going to be waiting on that? Summer League MVP, Kyle <laughs> Anderson. Uh, I don't think it is. I think – I think he kind of has to wait his turn. I think maybe once Manny Ginobili moves on, maybe he kind of assumes that role, maybe not quite as big of a role as Ginobili ever had, but, you know, that Swiss Army knife type of guy off the bench. I think it'll be another year for him. Maybe, you know, on certain nights when Pop opts to rest four or five guys, then then Anderson will see his turn. But I don't think he's going to have a big year. The question for me is at center. Tiago Splitter's on the Hawks. Tim Duncan's only going to be playing, you know, he's going to be resting here and there. He's he's only going to be playing in the mid-20s for minutes. What happens when Tim Duncan's on the bench or Tim Duncan isn't playing? Like, who starts at center for this team? Is it Aldridge? I think it's Dia. Like, I think I think they're just going to go super small. Like, how is that going to work defensively? It just it's it's not going to work that great. But that's that's one of the reasons why I don't I have him in the top here four. Is just the Spurs and something it'll it'll work. Right. Well, Aldridge is notorious for not liking to play center. So like, if it depends. It just totally depends on matchups. Like, if they're playing the Thunder, I don't think Aldridge has a, any problem. You know, if, if he if Adams isn't on the court, I think Aldridge is fine guarding Canner or Ibaka, like whoever you want him to guard there. If they're playing the Kings and Cousins is out there, I don't, I don't think you're going to see Aldridge guarding Cousins. Uh, so I think that that might just be one of those things where you do – Dia on Cousins and then have Danny Green or Kawhi just constantly poking their heads in and just kind of forcing him to to kind of kick it out there. Uh, Aldridge is just – I think he just is so comfortable at the four, lo- loves being kind of 15 feet away from the basket sometimes that I think that's where, what they're going to do, and West is just going to back him up. Yeah, and there's still a lot to like with the Spurs team, yeah. and it's, it seems insane to pick them at six in the West. I think that just really speaks to the depth. They're another the team like the Cavs where they're going to be just concerned about getting in, I think, yep. getting exactly. in healthy. That's, so. that's the thing, and that, I think that's going to deter them from making it into that top four or five, and they're going to win a lot of games, but I don't think the addition of LaMarcus Aldridge is worth like a plus five or plus ten jump you, in wins just because no, of the no, way no. this team is coached and the way that they're geared. You could see a scenario where they start the season like – I don't know, like five and eight or something yes, like that's that. That's what I'm saying. People and don't realize that these adding a big addition to a team, no matter what team, and it is, people it's just tough. be like, sports will be like, what's wrong with the Spurs? And then like they Bobby might they like might win fun. like 17 of their 20 games after the All Star right. break. At some or something point, like that, you know? I, but at the same time, I could see them starting like 17 and three too. Right? It's like sure. it wouldn't surprise you either yeah. way. But you just know at some point they're going to hit their stride, yeah. whether it's to start the year right away or whether it's game 41 when they reel off yeah you know a 15 game winning season. you literally shouldn't judge anything about this team until like april really no, <laughs> you know not at all. no not at all and i think the spurs have maybe more so than any franchise have given you know fans and, and people like us reason not to worry if, if things look awry at any point because you know they're going to get in and you know they're going to be uh, as serious as a contender of any other team the Grizz- Grizzlies. Grizzlies yeah. They're the last team in our in our consensus top, top six. Um, I know we both had thoughts of moving the Pelicans up, but you look up. And well, down we have a we have a consensus top seven, I suppose. We but do, we, right? the yeah. Pelicans we both have at number seven. Um, and I think we we talked a little bit before the podcast of you know, I'd like to find a spot for the Pelicans mm-hmm. in that top six. You know, they have the best player in the NBA, but the the conference is just so deep. It's yeah. insane. I mean, and you, you the, can make an argument that the Pelicans would be a top two team in the East. And this is. 
probably the deepest I think this Grizzlies team has been. Yes, that's what, that I that's can what gave them the edge here. And you bring back the exact same core as last year. Conley, Lee, Green, Allen, Randolph, Gasol. Another year of mileage on guys. You know, I think Zach Randolph's the real guy that you look at there. But Vince Carter his- missed a dunk in the preseason. Oh, uh. That I that one I was pissed because it got like I purposely avoided it. I saw like someone tweeted out like like <laughs> oh Vince Carter missed a dunk. I was like oh, I'm not watching. I think that. you avoided that like I avoided the Nick Chubb video. I still yeah. have not watched that. Yeah. Have you? Well, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I know you love Nick Chubb. I, the, honestly, the Vince Carter one was more painful to watch. But uh, so that gets played. Then it gets played in the office, like Sports Center is doing like some not top ten things. I'm just like, just ran out of how did office. you guys not just like destroy and burn that video? Like <laughs> nobody wants to see Vince Carter failing to dunk a basketball. Uh, like that is just the saddest thing where that I could Vince possibly Carter, imagine watching. Where does the Vince Carter rev the motorcycle after the dunk celebration <laughs> rank? I, that's like number one for me as far as like celebrations that make me like pump my fist well, on the couch. My favorite. Honestly, my my favorite recent dunk celebration was when Dirk threw down and then <laughs> did and then did the the Vince Carter like point to the sky thing like oh, that was man. the best um, from the from the two thousand dunk contest the, right I right don't know what that's called but like the, it's kind of like, like shooting an arrow or something one arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah I mean Vince Carter probably there's gonna be nights he doesn't play on this team oh, yeah. uh, he's he's just kind of it's it's too bad but you know not a dunk celebration but where did lebron's uh i don't know what you even call it like load the gun uh celebration from the finals rank for you that was that was i'm a lebron guy as you know that one was <laughs> up there for me that was well done yeah that that was decent um i wasn't really i was so into was that that was that the del Vadova game or no it was a game. It might have been the Del Vadova game. It was game two or three. I think it was game three. I was they went that up. They was the Del Vadova game. game because I was just getting so angry on Twitter because <laughs> everybody, everybody and their mom was just like, "Oh man, this this is the Warriors team. You guys thought was going to win the finals? Like this yeah. is what Steph Curry. This is the guy that got the MVP. Like just everyone, yeah. everyone that hadn't really been watching basketball. Like and you know I'm watching like the NFL and the MLB wires." And all these guys that don't watch that much basketball start chiming in. And I'm just like, you guys, like, just sell me all of your Steph Curry stock. I will gladly take all of it, and the Warriors are still going to win the series. And you you even knew that, and you're a LeBron guy. Like, we both came into the office that day, and we're like, yeah, I still kind of like the Warriors in six. If had the, like, had the Cavs came back, they had to win game four at home. They went up 2-1. They, won, they split in Golden State, right. came back home, won game three. I said to you, they need to win Game Four on their home floor. They didn't, no. and the rest was history yeah. after that. That was that was serious. Um, so Grizzlies, Brandon Wright. Yeah, Brandon and Wright. Love love Brandon edition, Wright. Best value addition of the offseason, I think, without much competition. Granted, I I like I like Costa Kufo, so I mean, it's not a it's not a major upgrade, right, but I the think thing. the fact that they were able to get him at the price they got him at was really nice, and. Uh, you know, just just kind of adds to their their front court assets. There, Jeff Green's back, and they got Matt Barnes, which was a move that I, I don't really think moves the the win needle, but it it gives them like a a guy that's got playoff experience, probably isn't gonna lay eggs like Jeff Green did. Uh, if you can on think about one occasions. team that you're like, where would Matt Barnes fit? It's a it's a Grizzlies, yeah. right? I mean, he yeah. I feel like he should have been playing for the Grizzlies his whole career. If you have you have Matt Barnes and Tony Allen on the court and Zebo on the court in a playoff series, like they're nobody's gonna be tougher than them, just just physically and mentally and like just 
possibly starting stuff that could lead to right. an opposing superstar maybe getting himself suspended That's for a game. That's basically why he's here. He's, he's an enforcer. Right. Do you think they get anything from Russ Smith this year? Throwing a real dart. <laughs> he's going to be their 14th or 15th man, but like a guy who is – a great playmaker at the college level, played yeah. all right last season in the D League. I didn't love him. I actually – He's undersized. He's Monte Ellis, I think, but at 6'1". Um, I'm drawing a blank. Who is the – is it Sosa? Who is the – Edgar Sosa? No, no, no. Um, who is the other, like, guard in oh, the Russ Smith Peyton backcourt? Siva. Peyton Siva. Yeah, I – I actually liked Peyton Siva more as an NBA prospect yeah. than than Russ Smith. So yeah, he he flunked out pretty quick yeah. in Detroit. I don't know where he's at. I now. just kind of thought like he had the sort of athleticism and you know defensive chops maybe. I think both but of those guys were. I mean, they won a college national championship for a reason. You look at like great college players. Almost, yeah. You know the Scotty Reynolds. See, of Re- guys. both of those guys should just be on the Sixers. Yes, um, that's so, what I'm talking about. Yeah. The Sixers need to build. Their we just team. we just want the Sixers to have all former great college point yeah, guards, like, like one through the, five. Get rid of the, like they have kind of done that right. <laughs> now Isaiah Cannon, Pierre Jackson, TJ McConnell, Scotty Wilbekin, but like get rid of Nick Stauskas, get rid of Jeremy Grant, get rid of Rashawn Holmes, like yeah, yeah get rid Vernon of Macklin at? Is Jakar, Jakar Sampson, Hollis Jefferson, where's like, Tarian yeah, Green? Yeah, yeah. um, so Pelicans? yeah, Pelicans, uh, both of our picks at seven, and probably the team that has you know that they're gonna be. If they win like 54, 55 games, which I think they could, then Anthony Davis wins the MVP possibly unanimously, and everyone's just all about the Pelicans. But you look at their roster, and other than Anthony Davis and uh, Ryan Anderson and Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans and Eric Gordon, there's a bunch of players on this team that really shouldn't be playing any minutes for any team. That's very true. Before we get to that, I want to ask you, how many games can the Pelicans lose? Or what, what's the minimum win total for them for Anthony Davis to be the MVP, assuming he doesn't miss a bunch of games? Okay, hold they on. They have to get to 50? Uh, I think they have to get – I think, they have, I think they have to get to 52. 52? I think they have to get to 52. I think they, I think they can do it if they even stay at in, like, the 47 range, if he's good enough. We've talked about Stephen Curry is going to be competing against himself more than anybody this year. You know, if he doesn't so, match or exceed the total think, from last year. I just – okay, so I'm looking at, like, it took – yeah, well, okay, so maybe not – maybe not – maybe 50 because they're they're going to get the, – they're just such a lock for the seven seed, in my opinion, mm-hmm. like, or at least the seven seed. So I think people might look at seven seed and not look at win total and be like, well, you know, they didn't squeak into the playoffs. They were kind of always going to make the playoffs. And, you know, his his number – I mean, it, it the, the number of wins and the number of games played are both important here. So, like, if they won, say – 48 games but he missed like 15 games i think that that could combine to not get it for him but he can miss like 10 games if they get to like 52 or 54 wins i think so i mean it's really kind of a those two numbers have to add up to to something he's such a lock for the mvp that is something catastrophic would have to happen i haven't felt this way in a while maybe maybe peak lebron when you you know going into that like that second season with miami he felt like he had you know almost Mm -hmm. no shot for anyone else but like and this is saying so much because you look at the other guys he's competing against, like LeBron, Curry, Harden, even Wall, a guy we mentioned who's a long shot. But like, and in a lot of years, John Wall would probably be a top three guy. And it's just he's it's, that good. It's like 
a lot of this stuff is narrative and a lot of it is like so Steph Curry you know there were all these players that had cases like there were probably like five or six guys last year that had like you could make a case this guy was the MVP so what do people go to all the team that like kind of shocked everyone and won 67 games well the thing I think people are going to go to with Davis is that he claims the throne as like the best player in the league officially like I think he's already there well, uh, he, the thing is, in the public eye, he can't be there until he wins the MVP, right? Well, I'm I'm just saying he's going to get there in the eyes of people like your, you know, whatever your your Michael Wilbons, your your guys that just don't watch that much basketball and like are kind of removed from like the advanced metric side of the game. Once those like columnists, those like around the horn type guys, once they declare that he's the best player in the league. That's going to result in him winning. The casual the fan still probably right. would say LeBron or Kobe. Yeah, yeah. So probably Kobe. Kobe. Probably, Kobe. probably Kobe. Let's get real. Probably Kobe. Um, <laughs> so like once once the guys that kind of uh, you know write one column a week and stuff once they decide that he's the best player in the NBA, then he'll win the MVP, and that's going to be this year. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair. I don't I don't see this team climbing much higher than seven. You know, like we said, we we love this roster basically because of Anthony Davis. I think without him or with with even a lesser player. <clears throat> you put Blake Griffin on this team instead of Davis. Like, are they a borderline playoff team? And I love Blake Griffin. I mean, they're they're in that mix for like the seven and the eight seed, just because there's such a steep drop off from seven to eight. Yeah. But like, they're definitely not getting to fifty, and they're no. they're probably going to struggle to get Which to forty five. Like, you can make a case that you can make a very strong case that Blake Griffin's a top ten player. And after the playoffs last season, I'm sure some would say top five. Um, but I just think they, there's that big of a gap at yeah. that position, at least. And defensively, it's it's really kind of insane. He's averaging like 34 points per 36 in the preseason so far. The fact that he's like hitting fall away three pointers at the buzzer to win games, clutch, like yeah. just it, there's nothing there's nothing he can't do. Like it's it's kind of that. You know, people say that about like that's what makes Aaron Rodgers so great at quarterback is like there's nothing he can't do, and like the you know, same thing with like Mike Trout and and guys like that. Davis is definitely in that class. Like there's zero things you can point to in his game that that qualifies weakness. Well, what separates really good players from great players in the NBA is the ability to make tough shots, right? Every player, every player in the NBA, if you give them an open look, mm-hmm. they can hit it. You know, these are all guys who were stars yeah. in high school, stars in college. You get to the NBA, and what separates you is your ability to go one-on-one and hit those difficult shots. And Davis really started to expand his game last year. He's going to expand even more out onto the perimeter. Like, like you said, no weaknesses. Like, How do you defend this guy? Who do you look at in the league and say, I like our matchup, uh, this guy no, and no, Davis? No, no, that's, that's like the, probably the funnest thing is like, I mean, maybe do you go to like maybe peak LeBron as, as a guy that like was just – there wasn't a single player in the league that could even hope to defend yeah, that, him one-on-one? That on one. Year, the third year in Miami when he shot 57% or whatever it was okay. in the field, like nobody could stop him. Right. and But like even then, I think I might have I might have taken my chances with, say, like Iguodala on him one-on-one versus like who's the guy that you would pick oh. to put on Davis one-on-one? Like, well, this LeBron's just not – seven feet tall that's the thing you know you can find defenders that can stick with lebron like there's nobody that's at davis's size nobody can match that kind of length nobody can match his leaping ability nobody can get it yeah it's just it's it's he's completely impossible to cover which is why i love the alvin gentry coming in like just get a new some new ideas in there offensively uh run some new stuff on that end of the court and i think that you'll be able to find 
even more mismatches to exploit and more uh, plays that kind of really put the pressure on the defense. I thought that, you know, watching the Pelicans last year, there were so many times when I didn't feel like they were making it hard enough on opposing defenses no. given, given Davis being on the court. No, not at all. One last question on Davis. Is he better than you thought he would be coming out of Kentucky at this point in his career? Um, I think he's better offensively than I thought he would be. Like, honestly, my, so too. my comp for him coming out was Bill Russell because I thought that he was, I thought that he was just going to win five or six championships being the best defensive player in the league and maybe even not always being the best offensive player on his team, uh, whereas – that's clearly not, never going to be the a, case. Who's a more accurate comp now? I think Bill Russell, like at the time, probably shocked a lot of people, but like now that seems very fair. Like, who's a more? Is there even a comparison? Thinking about it, I mean, like maybe like Kareem, but he was never no, really that great of a defender. No, I mean because he can because Davis can shoot. Right, like, that's the thing is like you can only go back so far because like before what the nineties, like big men just didn't do the things that Davis does. Like, I mean, maybe the closest thing that i can think of is like kg like pete yeah. kg but like but even it's he, just like, it's just so insane like there's not there's really no comp for him now because I, I didn't think i thought russell worked because i didn't see davis having this this kind of three-point game uh, which he's gonna develop this year and the off the off the dribble stuff it's just there's no real comp for him and that's that's what's kind of awesome about it i don't remember most of this guy's career I think, I think he ended up retiring when i was like nine but david robinson in the highlights mm-hmm. that i saw reminds me a little bit of anthony davis the freak athleticism right. defensive abilities definitely on the definitely on the defensive yeah. end um well he's didn't i mean david robinson was never really much of a shooter but he could he could operate in the mid-range he wasn't a three-point threat but i think he's kind of the closest guy i look to as far as like physical comp defensively. Yeah. it's just the, there's you can always find you can find plenty of guys where like sixty percent of the comp is there on yeah. Davis. You just can't find like guys. As as you're get. Yeah, like there's no guy that has X, Y, and Z. Like they might there might be X and Y, but they don't have the the other component that makes him mm-hmm. special. I mean, you might even you could get just as close with a guy like Scottie Pippen yeah. th- as you could with a guy like David Robinson in terms of just m- mixing and matching the. And that's insane to, yeah. to talk about. And I, I think we could go. We could do a whole podcast, a weekly podcast, probably just gushing about Anthony Davis. Um, final team in the West. This, this is actually the most interesting part of the podcast, <laughs> well in my opinion, be. because like I, yeah. I think, yeah, fast. But if you're listening, just uh, yeah, fast this is the, the this is the spot. If you want to hear us debate the the eighth seed in the West, you you've you've, you've, right you've arrived. Um, so you went with the Jazz, the Quinn Snyder's, the, the Quinn Snyder's, who would have been absolutely my pick and not even like i wouldn't have thought twice about it if dante yes he is he is he's he was about he was about to blow up j cole style this year yes he was um he was going to be better this year than alec burks is going to be for them yeah 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 no i don't think alec burks or trey burke are good so that's why like i don't don't think they're that good i just don't think exxon was going to give them that much in year two i think he okay maybe he wasn't but like i thought the He's gonna, in my opinion, he's gonna take the leap at some point. Yeah. It could have been this year. It could have been next year. And it's certainly a shame. I don't. I'm not saying they won't miss him. I think they will. But what they were able to do after the All Star break is the reason that they're up here mm-hmm. for me. And I think if you switch out Burks and and Exum for the second half of last season, nothing really changes. So, from what I've been hearing, uh, 
Howl Neto, which is how I believe it's pronounced. I heard you and DJ were 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 given given me some grief about me pronouncing it Neto. I think it is Neto. Yeah, but you, just right. just so you know, I was right. Um, D- okay, well, DJ had some like you should ask him about it. it. Was DJ Trainer who does the the Tuesday podcast with me had some like extreme trouble pronouncing names for some reason. Like he's usually really good yeah. at. It. I think what one was it? He pronounced some. He was like putting Mexican spins on everyone. Nice. He called Kobe Kobe at one point. Nice. Um, oh, I wish I could remember. What player? Well, oh, Lou Williams. You called him Luis Williams. <laughs> um, um, okay. Well, yeah. That, that's we're we're getting off yeah, getting off topic here. But but Neto, so far apparently in the preseason, uh, like the passing is is as good as advertised, and then the other parts of his game is kind of where it, there's going to take some time. I still like him a lot as like a end of the draft uh, pick in fantasy, but the fact that he's not quite ready to usurp. Uh, Burke is is a big reason why I don't I'm, I don't have the Jazz. I also think Rudy Gobert, as awesome as he is, and NBA teams now have had an entire off season to kind of evaluate you know what he does well, what he doesn't do well, ways to kind of maybe neutralize him. Uh, you know, I heard, I remember Zach Lowe was talking about it with with Shane Battier about how you just go small against the Jazz when he's on the court, like the Warriors did. Uh, against Mozgov last year and just force them to either live with the mismatches or get him off the court and I don't I don't think that that's a bad plan no um I went with the Suns okay. and and that's I wouldn't I be surprised right. if the Jazz got it either no but. I think those are the top two for me um a lot of changes for the Suns they took a step back uh after, after making the playoffs or getting close to making the playoffs I should say two years ago um, is, are there any other teams besides those two? I think Dallas doesn't really get close. I'm not a believer in them. I don't think Sacramento's going to be that good. The Lakers are going to be a lot more fun to watch, but they won't be a playoff team. The two teams that, like, yeah, no, I, I'm not going to pick the Lakers just because the whole Kobe thing, it just it's not going to lead to wins. Um, too young. The T-Wolves, I would never pick them. I just would refuse to. I mean, I think that they, they're too young as well. But I could see, like, say Wiggins makes another leap, say Levine makes a leap, say Carl Anthony Towns is just ready to go from day one. I could see the T-Wolves getting in the mix if the win total that they need is, like, 42 or 41. You know, last year it took 45 wins to get the eighth seed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's going to take that much this year. I think really all it's going to take is a winning record. Yeah, I think it depends on Wiggins. You know how if he can take that next step and like if he does the sort of you know what LeBron did from year one to year two. Right, I didn't want to make that comparison, but yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know year one LeBron, the Cavs didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make it in year two either, but they were right there. Mm -hmm. They were they ended up in a tie and they didn't have the tiebreaker and got the nine seed. Um, And yeah, I don't think they make that big of a jump. You know, going from sixteen wins last year and Wiggins played in every game, but if that team is healthy, I think it's important to remember that they're not nearly as bad as they showed last season. Yeah, and they we've talked about them on the over under pod, but I just love their depth, uh, like Shabazz Muhammad and and Gorgi Jang kind of playing supporting roles, I guess for them. I mean that's that's kind of nice. Akovic even. Yeah. But the the Suns really really impressed with what uh, T J Warren and Devin Booker have been doing so far in the preseason, and that's that's kind of what pushed me in their direction. Like I think that those two guys are both ready to be legitimate. Uh, contributors this year and 
when you have Bledsoe Knight and Tyson Chandler. And, I mean, I guess it looks like Markeith Morris is just going to be, like, on the team. Like, yeah, I was kind of waiting for him to for him to say something, but he he shows up to media day, and it's all good now. So, I yeah. guess if, he's, if that's actually the case, I'm still a little skeptical. But if that's the case, then... And he's sure. a good player. Like, he's a really good player. So, like, I mean, just having him around, like, this is... This is a pretty interesting kind of core of guys. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Alex Len is like your 18 to 20 minute uh, offensive center off the bench is kind of nice. Chandler, you know, he's obviously not Gobert, but I think he brings kind of a stabilizing presence to this team. And I love the, the Suns training staff is obviously yeah. um, heralded. So I, I don't see, you know, PJ Tucker is a guy that I really wish uh, didn't play basketball because he's just kind of. Uh, drain in terms of fantasy well, he's stats. He's one of those and guys that you want on your team, but you don't want him playing 30 minutes like he has right. for this team the last couple of years. Yeah. I like Devin Booker a lot. I think a lot of comparisons to him have been Clay Thompson. I think he reminds me of like a, a hybrid of Thompson and Beal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little more Brad Beal than Thompson. Um, I think he's probably a little more athletic than Clay Thompson. That's And Thompson's an underrated athlete yeah. himself. Uh, Booker's I, 18 years old. We love, we both uh, are driving the Devin Booker yes. bandwagon. Two, two steering wheels. Yeah, both. I think both of us had him in our like top eight guys on yep. the board for that draft. You convinced and me on him. I was I was skeptical. It's just it's in the gym range, and I I just get so excited about guys like that. We saw him in Vegas briefly, and like he's just so big. Yeah, that was the that was the biggest thing for me. Is like at Kentucky for some reason he just didn't he didn't look as big as he did in person, and I don't and sure he, he bulked up before the draft and everything. But he's, he's going to be more than just a spot up shooter. Right. He day. can he can guard a little. He can go off the dribble a little. He can dunk. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to like there, and the fact that he's this ready to contribute at at this age, like, is he the youngest player in the league? Like, he's gotta he, be, right? yeah. And so, he doesn't turn eighteen until October thir- or nineteen, excuse me, until October thirtieth. With him, uh, kind of being that that third guard for them uh, when they don't go with the two point guard look, and then T.J. Warren sort of being the exact opposite of P.J. Tucker at the three and and scoring a ton and just filling it up. I just I really kind of like the the stuff they have there, and, and Hornacek's a good coach. Like I think that that last year's Phoenix team was just a mess in terms of everything that was going on with the Dragic situation. So I think that that there's enough of an opening there for them to get the eight seed. All right, we should probably wrap this up. Um, a lot of good points, though. I had a good time chatting with you about both conferences. Um, just a reminder, DraftKings. You can use that promo code Roto Hoops. Get a free contest entry with your first deposit on DraftKings. Um, this podcast, all of our RotoWire podcasts are available on iTunes. They're available on Stitcher. And they're also available on the RotoWire website. Just go to rotowire.com slash podcast. You can download the MP3 directly from the site and do with it what you want there. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to go about it. But again, iTunes, uh, also a great option. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire Basketball Podcast. Again, we're sponsored by DraftKings. They are the leader in daily fantasy sports. Make sure to get in on that week six NFL Million Maker event. $1.2 million to first place this week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.